Pace Line is supported by LEL Cycling. The coast is calling. LEL's shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LEL products are crafted in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now, on to the show. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Celine Yeager, a.k.a. the Fit Chick of Bicycling Magazine. Each week, we look at how cycling fits in our lives. Celine, how are you doing? I am doing just fine, Patrick. How are you? Things are good. A couple days ago, I got to go for a ride with this fellow, Paul Cusick. Uh, he and I actually met in Italy a couple years ago. Uh, he's with the apparel manufacturer Sportful, and we got. Oh, to, I like their stuff. They do really, really nice work. Yeah, uh, and yeah. as a result of this ride, I think I'm going to get to try some some of their stuff that I haven't ridden in before. But uh, we went for a gravel ride in Annadale State Park by me, and it just felt so good to go out for a ride with someone and show off this place that I adore. You know, I love sharing rides with with people in that park or, you know, any place mm-hmm. that I like riding, honestly. Uh, but sharing it with someone who hadn't ridden there felt really good. And then we mm-hmm. finished up at Trailhouse, our local bike shop slash tap room that sits in the several hundred meters between my home and the park. Uh, I don't know how she would fit something in there. The distance is so short. Um, mm-hmm. We were sharing a beer when I suddenly hear a woman say, that's Patrick. And I turned and there's a smiling face looking at me and it's not a face I knew. And it turns mm-hmm. out it's this woman, Karen, and then her partner, Matt, walks over. They're visiting from St. Paul. Uh, he had mentioned to her that I lived in the area. Uh, so we were all pretty surprised that the timing worked out to bump into each other. They're, they're readers of RKP, listeners to the pace line. Oh, okay. uh, and so I was, you know, I was just blown away that I would bump into somebody like that. But it's like, oh, yeah, it's the trail house, you know. Um, I yeah, guess I shouldn't still, be I mean, that surprised. Cool. Right. Uh, but I'm not always great at giving shout outs to listeners I meet. So I wanted to make sure this time I didn't drop the ball on this one. So... Matt and Karen, hope you're having a great visit. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's always cool. It's, I, I really enjoy, um, A, I must say, when you said sportful, because literally I just ditched, because I had to, a sleeveless black jersey that I had had for 19 years <laughs> from sportful. <laughs> I literally, I literally had it. It was the longest relationship of my life outside of my Dodge Neon, which was 18 years. Um, and it became, uh, it became threadbare. It just, I like literally, like it was, it was, it was threads and I gave it up. But that is, I don't know if they still make stuff like that, but wow. I mean, I can't say enough because I, I, I wear things hard. I think I might have mentioned that before. I kind of break things. Um, I wear things hard. And uh, so shout out to Sportful, too. I, I, I've gotten a couple of their jerseys and a couple of jackets, and it seems like they're still on, you know, in their A game. So Yeah. Cool. I've got my eye on their Fiandre line, which is all the thermal stuff. Yes. 
Yes. You know, yeah. nanotechnology really so the good. water beads up on it. That's that's yep. what he and I are going to be talking about. Uh, yeah, it seems like it's well cut, seems to fit well. Yeah. Um, sweet, sweet. And yeah, it's always fun. It's always fun. A, I love, I, I mean, you probably find this too, but like when you ride with somebody who's not ridden in your place before, you see it through their eyes and that's a treat for you too, right? Like I forget yeah. sometimes like how beautiful, like my, just the park that I ride in all the time, just like you're like, but when you, when you go through with someone different, like you get to see it a little bit new too. And I, I think that's always a little special. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a lake in the middle of the park, Lake Hill Sanjo. And we came around this bend and rolled onto the dam uh, at one end of the lake. And he was like, whoa, the water was still, you know, everything's green because we've had some rain. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, yeah, it's like, check this out. <laughs> Are you Very having fun. a good day yet? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's super cool. Yeah. So what do you got this week? Well, it has been a really, um, it's been a busy, busy news week for us in the cycling industry, yeah. to say to say the least. So, so maybe I'll start, you know, with, with something uh, which I think is a positive. I, I have heard a little grumbling in the background, but you know, uh, I'll I'll start. Um, so last month, I met with John Tarkington. Uh, he's the Cycling Experience Director of RPM Events, which is sort of the umbrella that's the Colorado Classic is under it. Okay. Um, as, uh-huh. Yeah, as well as some other events. And he had been charged with growing the audience for, on the women's side, you know, the, for the women's racing. And we met over coffee and chatted about ideas. And, you know, there were a few of us and just threw out a lot of random things. I, I didn't I didn't honestly have much that I thought was pretty new or revolutionary to add to the mix. You know, I wasn't sure how helpful I was being, but um, he really, he had a limited budget and he wanted to make a splash. And, you know, it seemed like his wheels were really turning, but I couldn't tell how they were turning. Mm-hmm. And uh, this week we learned just how they were turning. Um, they are definitely going, yeah, they are definitely going, they, they went all in. And I, man, so for people who don't know, the Colorado Classic, which which is not an old race, let's let's be clear. It started in uh, 2017, so this would, we're going into the third year of the event for 2019. Um, it is going to be a women's race this year, yeah. uh, which isn't to say they are going to have a women's race. It's going to say it's going to just be a women's race. They are dispensing with the men's field. And it's just the ladies um, making it the country's sole standalone women's only bike race on the UCI and UCA uh, cycling pro road tour calendars, you know, which is just pretty big of a deal. Um, You know, 20 pro women's teams are going to come out uh, mid-August, four-day stages. It's going to stream live on Facebook. You know, it began when it began in 2017. It was women's and men's, you know, and I, I think it. I think the timing of some of the stages were not great. They, they, if I recall, they had it in the afternoon and it would, it rains, you know, like, (laughs) so they're going to, they're going to, they're going to sort that out the time. They're going to plan the timing better. They're bumping up the prize purse to $135,000. Holy cow. Yes. Which is the largest race purse that they've, they've offered, um, period. And it's four times the amount of what the women's purse has been in the past for that event. So how, how does that compare to the biggest purses for women's races, you know, worldwide? It's got, it's astronomically bigger. I mean, you know, some of the European ones are embarrassingly small, like really small. I looked oh. at some of the like Flanders, like some, like it, it's. Go buy some makeup. It, 
Yeah, I mean, it's really just like a, a grand or something for the winner. I mean, it's very small. Yeah. Um, and you're racing in in on cobbles in April, you know, and get crashing on. It's like unbelievable what they're doing for very little money. Very little money. So, I that you know that's they're definitely putting. They're going all in. They're putting their money. They're walking the the walk and talking the talk. Um, they will also have, which I was really pleased to see, um, all female team of announcers, common you know color really? commentators. Yes, and awesome. you know if you followed, yes, if you have followed any of the debacles that have sort of happened with, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that male announcers are that Tim Johnson is awesome. There's a lot of great male announcers. Yeah, out there. many, yeah, yeah. many, many wonderful people. But this year was kind of marked by a couple of there were some real big sour steps. Yeah, just guys saying just really not right things, you know, about I just didn't want to go into it. That so it's 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 this is it's 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 good. It's good cuz I'm really curious to see what that looks like and what that feels like. You know, um Ken Gart, which is the chairman of the RPN groups, you know, said his quote was by creating one great race instead of two average ones, we can shine a bright light on Colorado and pro women's racing while affecting meaningful social change. You know, so that's that's what he put out there into the universe. And, you know, I, I, I sort of like looked around, uh, you know, we did a story on it in Bicycling and, of course, put it up different places. And everybody's now since posted. Uh, predictably, there are some men, foul, you know, crying foul on the interwebs, you know, and they're saying stuff like, I guess sexism is fine when women do it. And maybe the men should race and drag. And I'm usually pretty tolerant and I'm, I'm a, you know, kind of rosy person. But in this case, I'm just going to say if you're one of those guys, knock it off. Just stop it. Like, just stop it. Um, it, 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 it doesn't really work that way. It's let me remind you that women were not even permitted, like getting tackled if they tried to run the Boston Marathon until the early 1970s. Yeah. Like the freaking 70s. Like. I don't think women could even run on the Olympic marathon until the 80s. I would have to check myself on that. But it's it's this is all not distant history. Yeah. Do you know? So everyone now that women are like finally sort of catching up, you've got a woman running like 200 milers and slaying everybody on the planet. Like when women are given these opportunities to see how far they can go, like men have had so long – they're doing remarkable things and there's nothing wrong with like raising the, you know, like lifting as we climb, letting everyone find their their athletic capacity. You know, again, like women have had a late start in the sport, relatively speaking. We're making tremendous ground and there are still plenty of male dominated races out there for you, gentlemen. Like I, I most of them. Right. And yeah. women are not. Yeah, it's it's so. Let's celebrate this. Women's races are, are often reduced. They're cut all the time. And, and when, when organizations have to make budget cuts, it's always the women's race that goes. It's always the women's race that goes. Yep. And this time, when they're faced with a t- tough budget, they decided to do something different. And I, for one, applaud that. So, Yeah. Well, we should all applaud it. I mean, obviously, that probably won't happen. But, dude, what a move. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it's you bold. Know, yeah, it's not the old Orida, but it's it's a real step, a big step in the right direction. I'm thrilled. When I heard it, I just couldn't believe my ears. I was so yeah. surprised. And it's sad that I should be that surprised, right? 
But, you know, that's that's the current environment we're in. But because because doping has not plagued women's riding in the way women's Mm -hmm. racing in the way that it Mm -hmm. does in the men's racing. And this is partly, you know, an unfortunate, uh, if handy, byproduct of the fact that there's just no money in women's racing. Uh, Right. You know, yeah, because I'm not going to go on a moral swords. ledge and say that women won't <laughs> if the money, you know, like right. I won't walk out on that ledge because I know women who have. Oh, um, sure. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. But it doesn't watching women's racing doesn't come with the same moral dilemma of, you know, just what is it I'm seeing here? And so for me, because I've I've just so uh, I've lost so much interest in men's pro racing because of the doping the women's racing is way more interesting to me now. It's like, Oh, these are real people. And so I can't wait for this race. I will watch the live stream every flipping day. I can't wait. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to be really exciting to see how it plays out. To me, this race will be the highlight of the year for me in terms of watching bike racing. No question. I am so excited about it. It's such a wonderful thing. And you know, part of the other problem with women's racing is, yeah, when it's done in conjunction with a men's race, you've got this whole problem of, yeah, the women's race is shorter. There are fewer stages. If there are even multiple stages, there are all these different things that, as you mentioned, are, you know, watered down versions of the men's racing. And so from the word go, it's much less interesting just from a standpoint of like, how tough is this thing that they're being thrown at? And so to see, okay, well, this is the full event. This is as hard as anything's going to be, and it's just for the women. I can't possibly say enough positive things about that. Yeah, no, awesome. And and they are doing it um, intelligently. You know, the stages are going to be longer and tougher. I don't honestly know if it's going to be the same length as the uh, the men race last year. And and honestly, I don't care. That's that's another poll for another time, perhaps. But, you know, the men's, those tour stages that are interminable are really boring. <laughs> like they, yep. you know, they, they just go, they just ride, they just ride for a long time. And then they start racing. Like when you watch the, it's so... Yeah, you know, there's a lot of arguments to be made. Like, is that do we want to emulate? Do we actually want to like mirror that? Because those shorter stages of the tour were super exciting, right? Like they were super exciting. So a like little explosive. a little bit is is not you know that's okay. Like there's a sweet spot I think. So yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. Yeah, so this is, it's a fresh look. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and you know, and they deserve to get. Uh, a great reception from the media uh, ahead of when the race happens so that people sufficiently know about it to be able to tune in. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And stream, you know, streaming live on Facebook is a good move, I think. Like, <laughs> Genius. Tons of people watched the, the – and I had mentioned that we had talked about that in the conversation that I had um, last month, that you know the CrossFit games, like we all watched them in the office because it was just so easy. It just put it on like a Facebook page and it was just on in the background. Like it's a really easy way to, to watch an event. Yeah. And then people are also chiming in in real time. It's the whole thing. It's the whole experience. So – yeah, I think it's a it's it's a good idea. It's much richer than watching, you know, what you recorded on TiVo at nine o'clock that night. <laughs> well, and there's that, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Not that there's anything yeah. wrong with that, but you know, yeah, if no, you I can do make it all the, the time, experience but it better. Is, yeah, I agree. I agree. Cool. 
Excellent. What do you have for us? More, more industry news, I bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we will get to that just as soon as we take a very brief break oh, for okay. our sponsor. Hi, everyone. It's Celine. So I'm pretty psyched to tell you about our new sponsor, PowerDot. PowerDot is a smart muscle stimulator, which is essentially a device that passively stimulates your muscles to help with recovery. Anyone who has followed me for any length of time knows I do big, dumb things. That's kind of my game. I've done Ironman, eight-day mountain bike stage races, Dirty Kanza. You get the picture. So for me, recovery is everything. And there's a lot of stuff that promises to help with recovery, and I do it, and it probably works. But I would be hard-pressed to tell you that I feel any meaningful difference in the moment, or even right away. That's not the case with electrical muscle stimulation. Electrical stim basically fires up your muscles and causes them to pulse or contract in a rhythmic fashion, which flushes them out, brings in fresh oxygenated blood, carries out the waste. It's like a recovery ride, but from your couch, because you're not moving a muscle on your own. And it just works. So when my legs are trashed, I do electrical muscle stimulation, and honestly, the stairs in my house that seemed so steep a half hour before are much easier to climb. It works that quickly. So I'm a fan. So are many doctors, therapists, coaches I've consulted over the years. This practice has been around on the professional side for decades. The nice thing about PowerDot is that it's so small and easy to use. The whole unit is smaller than a saddlebag, so it's super portable. And you work it through your phone via Bluetooth and the PowerDot app. You just put on the pads, activate it with your phone, and the units start pulsing. The nice thing with PowerDot is that it also has pre-programmed sessions in the app. So you can just put it on and pick quads, hit the button, and let the machine work its magic. And now, thanks to the sponsorship, PowerDot is giving Paceline listeners 20% off their order. So just go to PowerDot.com, use the code PACELINE at checkout to get 20% off your order. That's PowerDot.com, use the code PACELINE to get 20% off your order today. And we're back with the PACELINE. So earlier this week... I posted a piece in which I took on (laughs) the economic typhoon that is hitting the bike biz right now. So let's let's recap a few of the high points. There's the Chapter 11 bankruptcy of ASE, the parent company for ASI and performance. So those brands include Fuji Bicycles, Kestrel, Breezer, Oval Components, and then the entire performance bike shop chain. (laughs) On paper... The move looked brilliant, okay? I remember being super complimentary of it at the time because with all the Trek stores and specialized concept stores, this was a way for ASI to lock in a huge national retail network. Uh, However, word within the industry is that Performance owed ASI more than $40 million, and their move was either buy the chain or take a very big hit that would possibly have sunk ASI. It appears that ASE, the parent company for ASI and and performance, uh, simply couldn't generate enough revenue to keep the whole boat afloat. On top of that, we have the news that the Interbike Trade Show has been shut down by its parent, Emerald Expositions. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, you know, that comes on the heels of a disastrous show in Reno. And, you know, I read Facebook and Twitter and people are pointing their fingers every which way. It's yeah, they are. My opinion, 
It's like the Jimmy Buffett song, Margaritaville. This is nobody's fault. You know, the, the, the entire yep. business yeah, model has changed. And yep. it's just too expensive to do a show like that just so we can all say hi to our friends. Uh, I, you know, I loved using the show for that, but really I get that, you know, yeah. when someone's being asked to spend $40,000 on, you know, a 20 by 20, it's like, mm, maybe, maybe we put that money somewhere else. Yeah. Agreed. <sighs> Adding to the feeling of general malaise is the news that <laughs> has come out of Rafa. Yeah. So in the six months Following its sale to RZC Investments, which is the company owned by Walton Ayers, Tom and Stuart Walton, the high-end apparel manufacturer lost 20 million pounds. Uh, six was, months. Yeah, six months. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's not the full year. <laughs> Just <laughs> six months. Um, there has been a claim that this is just costs incurred due to the sale but because I don't know diddly bop about M&A activity, I texted a couple of friends to ask them, does that does that hold water? Does that pan out? And they were like, mm, that seems like a really, really big hit. Uh, it sounds like they're trying to put some spin on it. And so it it seems that it may suggest that some folks who conflated the Walton Ayers with Walmart and said they would never buy Roth again may have done so now hmm. i i see stuff like this and it makes me think you know i like to try to look around the corner uh but i don't have a crystal ball but i think uh for the foreseeable future big plays are going to be really risky yeah again no crystal ball but i rather suspect that this is a time to look at making operations more nimble more approachable. I think brands are going to have to do more uh, in terms of working harder to connect with consumers, and they are going to need to be ready to do more to deliver a product perfectly tailored to a rider's needs. Uh, for retailers, I think that means stocking fewer bikes and working with lines that have an approach that will accommodate that. They've got to be able to make the bike quickly, ship it quickly, and not have insane requirements for, you know, stocking 200 bikes from a preseason order. So it's, it's a really interesting time. And I think the fact that the economy is uh, struggling for most of us, maybe not Wall Street, but most of the rest of us, it doesn't seem like it's working that well for us. I think that that means that bicycle retailing is in for a couple more years of a bumpy ride unless you're really nimble and can run light on inventory. I mean, Celine, bicycling was sold. You know, mm -hmm. there are no holy bovines. Um, I, I don't want this to seem like a matter of gloom and or doom. I do see opportunities out there, but I'm curious, where do you see opportunities? What what do you look at and go, ooh, that could get interesting in six months or a year or two? Yeah, I, I don't spend a, as much time. You have a you have a real knack for sort of digging into all the the business nuances and and like you know and going to Taiwan and seeing these things and and you know where all that is going. But I can I am a. Um, I am a long view girl, and I am also a glass half full 
person in general. Uh, so I like that, that about you. It's always, yeah, that's always that's always been my way. But you know, I, th- I I think it's really easy. It's really easy to to sit back and just be like, oh, this sucks, and you know, the internet's ruining everything. And um, but you know, if you really pull back and you look very realistically at how things have always been done, you know, whether it's publishing, whether it's the music industry, whether it's the, like, any of that stuff. You know, I mean, like, to take it to the music industry, how many years did we all buy, like, spend, like, 20 bucks on a CD for one song that we liked, and the rest kind of sucked, and we got this piece of plastic that, like, it wasn't awesome, (laughs) right? It was not, it was not, and, and this product that if you looked at it wrong, scratched, and didn't work anymore. Like, like, maybe we shouldn't, like, yeah, I mean, it, 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 you have to like look and go, well, that actually wasn't a really great model, was it? You know, and all the carnage that happened and what we're, they're still trying to figure out, but people have never been able to be exposed to this much music ever. Yeah. Like ever. Like, oh my, it's mind blowing. Like I'm a music freak and I, you can't even keep up with it. It's amazing. Yeah. And people, and it's, it gets, it allows the artist to get to you like much more directly. And that's empowering, right? Yeah. And I think that, you know, with like bicycling, like the yes, the sale hurt. I mean, there was a lot that went down that was that was painful, but it was necessary. I mean, there was just, it was just changes had to happen to stay afloat yeah. and to stay alive. And I'm I'm real proud to be part of this nimble organization now because you're, you're, nimble is the word, and that and we are so collaborative and we're so I mean always trying to like think about how like what. The reader wants what this person like. How to service them? How to, like what like? It's always about that, and it was it was kind of easy. It was e- it's easy when things are good to sit back and just kind of get lazy and kind of get fat. Like that that happens to everybody. It's human nature, mm-hmm. and it you know it, it's it's always uncomfortable when someone kicks you off your butt and is like, well, no, you know, you've got to change how you're doing things because that's not working anymore, but. There is opportunity. There's always opportunity in that. And I think that with the bike industry, yes, like you pointed out before, like instead of having like this giant inventory of like blue bikes that maybe were cool three years when you designed them, but now they're not cool anymore. Now everyone's stuck with these blue bikes that nobody like it's just better to like have some just just more immediacy and more like what you know too direct to the consumers and there's always going to be a need for service right like there's yeah. always going to be a need especially as technology grows there's i can barely change my tires anymore you know because there's like <laughs> there's no industry stand like it's it is always a need for like good service there's that's not going away yeah. and the human interaction is always going to be wanted so you know just figuring out like like you were saying, like being able to make these bikes direct, you know, as I want them custom, like, who? wow, isn't exciting. Everybody could get something a little customized. Like we've never had that before. Yeah. And when you're buying something as personal and as awesome as a bike, that's kind of really exciting. Yeah. I, I mean, I think about my years in bike shops where, you know, we'd, uh, we, we got trained in the fit kit. So we knew how to fit people in a you know, reasonably scientific manner. And, you know, we'd take somebody through a fitting and, you know, we'd swap out the bar, we'd swap out the stem, maybe we changed out the saddle. And suddenly we've got these components that we don't really need anymore. And we're not really sure how to sell now. And I remember just a box in back with nothing but stems, you know, (laughs) 
And I have a box in my garage with all that stuff. <laughs> well, that's a separate issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if you know, you think about how lean and a bike shop needs to be now, and then you think about studio yeah. operations that don't have, you know, a six hundred square foot basement where they can just hide a box of something. You know, they've got to be. Uh, I was just talking to somebody earlier today, and apparently, city I grew up in, Memphis, uh, renting commercial real estate for retail, you can't do it right now. Commercial real estate brokers can't rent retail space. Businesses are not opening. There are not new businesses going in. So when something closes up, the spot stays empty for a while. Hmm. So, I mean, that tells me that people aren't willing to take the risk on the traditional retail model. Right. So, you know, stocking, you know, 40,000 microwaves, not so good for business. Yeah, yeah. No, it's... You know, I'm not saying it's it's not painful. It is. So the yeah. transition is always painful, but but in the end, it, I mean, everybody, the same people that that bemoan it are the same people driving it. Do you know what I mean? Like we <laughs> no. the people are we the people are driving these changes because we're we're all we're all complicit in you know wanting things that are that we want that are customizable you know and wanting like a certain amount of convenience and wanting like not wanting to rock into your shop and being like oh we can get that to you by next Thursday mm-hmm. when you could get it two day you know two days from now and be on your bike and not miss an event on the weekend or whatever right like like we've well, all been be- driving that mm-hmm. we we have all been driving that so yeah. we need to figure it out it, that wouldn't be as big an issue, you know, getting things faster wouldn't be as big an issue for retailers if there weren't, you know, online options that were responding that quickly. It's when someone first started upping that delivery timetable that everybody else started going, oh, gosh, what are we going to do now? And wages are flat for most of America. And so when you think about trying to buy a new bike, well, you drop three, four, five, six, seven thousand $7,000 on a bike, dropping another $300 on a different saddle, a different stem, a different bar, buying pedals, uh, maybe as much as $300 on your fitting. It's not easy for people to swallow that at this point. And so figuring out ways to streamline that process, take care of somebody so that they feel like they've gotten a good value in that experience, mm-hmm. and then Ultimately, they arrive at exactly the bike they needed without extra stuff sitting in their garage. Right. I, you know, that's that's going to be good for consumers. It's, you know, the entire cycling community is going to benefit from that. And so what I'm what I'm really curious about, what I can't wait to see unfold is how these smaller operations are going to, you know, change how they do business so that they can be even more nimble. Right. I, right. I find that exciting. I wish I could see a lot more people employed, but you know, for the, for those who are employed, I'd like to see them stay employed. Oh, for sure. For sure. And yeah, you just never know. Like you don't know um, where business opportunities will pop up in the new system, right? Like there's like everything changes. Change is the only thing that's constant is that it's very trite, but that's yeah. true. And, you know, like new opportunities always arise in that. And you just like, 
who who knows where it's where it's all gonna go. But I think just you always have to look for the writing on the wall and 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 try to respond or turn or, or educate yourself, whatever you need to do accordingly. You know, yep. because because you can't. You can't change it. You can't like you know. You, if, if thing if the if the wave is going that way, like you know, you can try to stand your ground, but it's, it's at some point it's going to sweep you up. Like when it's that big, you know. I mean, I'm not saying that. Like I think we should definitely support independent bike shops. I support mine all the time, um, but the independent bike shop also has to like see where things are going and evolve as well. You know, like we we all just have to do that in concert or. Yeah. Are we are we are where we are. <laughs> yes. Well said. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, yep. Well, uh, watch this space, right? Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm asking yep. Santa for a crystal ball because uh, I'm I just I've never seen a development in the bike industry that I think held more interesting promise while all, it being as simultaneously painful. I hate the painful part, but the the changes that are going to come for those who navigate this successfully it's going to be really cool to watch yeah and be, and before we we turn off this completely i'm curious if you think that interbike in some incarnation will rise from the ashes like why why is there still a running there's a huge running event that that's viable there's still outdoor retail that's viable like mm-hmm. why why can't the bike industry get something viable going too. I think there's still, there's still something that could mm-hmm. happen that is important and necessary, but yeah. it just doesn't look like that. Well, I mean, it's interesting because we've got CABDA and there's no right. doubt that some, which I'm not even that familiar with, honestly, you know, it, it was traditionally, it has been a smaller, you know, regional show. Uh, right. And now there's talk of it growing. Uh, and there's talk of additional CABDAs, which is, would need to be called something else because it's not Chicago area. Not Chicago, right. <laughs> be that as it may. There, uh, I think there will be manufacturers who will shift what they would have done to Interbike to Cabda. You know, companies that didn't have a presence there will now decide to have a presence there. So that's something that is going to happen. But I don't think that there's going to be somebody just starting up a new Interbike to replace right. Interbike because there's no point in doing it if you don't see an obvious business model. To me... True. I mean, the smaller ones are, are been vital. Like, Philly Bike Show was huge this year. Very, very well attended. Yeah. yeah. Handmade Bicycle Show has been very popular. Yep. Cabda. But you were going to say... I'm sorry I cut you off. Well, I just... I think that if you want to create something that can get as many different manufacturers there to display as possible... It has to be outwardly focused. It has to be aimed at consumers. And the the business portion of the show either needs to happen in days running up to the big consumer event, or it needs to be done in such a way that, you know, both can be happening at once. Um, there's, there's an obvious attraction for something like that. I mean, you look at just look at Sea Otter. Sea Otter was bigger than Interbike this year. That's oh, yeah. all the indication we need of if you want to create an event that succeeds and grows, you got to include consumers. 
that's the only certain thing in this because the consumers Did you didn't see go Trey to Trey Richardson's bike. little op-ed in Brain. Yeah, yeah. That he said "F Consumer Day" at the end of it. That was his last. Uh... Written by somebody who's not in the bike industry anymore. <laughs> you know, Just... I I don't mean to diss him. Uh, there yeah. were a lot of really interesting insights he had. Um, but when you look at, well, what succeeds right now? What's making money? Sea Otter is arguably the best event in the U.S. And sure. it's it's as much a trade event at this point as it is anything else. You know, yeah. the, the expo in a certain sort of way overshadows the racing that goes on. Oh, I don't, for sure. Uh, I don't the racing is a backdrop to the <laughs> expo at this point. There's no question about that. There's no question. Yeah. You barely know a race is going. It's just like the background entertainment to like people walking around and doing other things. I remember when like, you know, when the road race would go, the big pro race would go, people would like walk out of the expo, watch the race come through, then walk back into the expo. And then, you know, the announcer would say, yep. okay, here they come. They're coming through the circuit again. People would walk out of the expo. That does not happen anymore. Yeah, that's true. And it's kind of fun. Like, I mean, I remember like when I'm there often, like I'm, I, I do the dumbass thing and I think, oh, I'm going to race. And then I've been walking and working and then I'm looking at my watch. And I'm like, oh, I got to line up in like an hour. <laughs> so I just like change and, and try to race. But you know, it's, it's got a really kind of fun vibe about it that way. Like people are involved like participating in the in the event in all sides of the event so yeah, yeah well and that's the other thing opportunities you know how many different ways can you get somebody to come to your event how many different draws make it dog friendly yeah put on a race that somebody wants to be in or put on a ride so that someone who wants to ride but doesn't want to race has something to do you know have road bikes have mountain yeah, bikes have yeah, gravel bikes yeah. i mean they have everything. If it's, it's at, like they, if it sticks to the wall, like, they're we'll doing have a cross it. race. We don't care if it's April. Yeah. We're gonna have a cross race. We're gonna have an e-bike race. You don't like it? We don't care. We're gonna have an e-bike race. Yeah. Like, they just, they just do it. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. It is spaghetti at the wall, and apparently, it's a pretty sticky wall. It all sticks. <laughs> that wall is really <laughs> sticky. Why would anyone criticize that? Yeah. You know, I love going to that event, uh, and I, I will probably have to look at staying at it longer this next year. Yeah. So, yeah. cool. All righty. Well, uh, what do you say? Paceline picks. All right. Um, my pick. This. Uh, let me ask you. Do you uh, do you wear pants when you ride? Uh, I'm gonna go with no. <laughs> um, no, right. I wear cycling clothing, and none of my cycling clothing gets called pants. See me neither, right? I like, I, you know, and I'm not an enduro bro. I know enduro bros, you know, have been <laughs> have been wearing pants for a long time. Um, but I, I have been schooled on that recently on Facebook since 1988. I think somebody told me, but but I don't care. Um, okay. I got I got a pair from Gore. Um, they are they're trail pants. They are Gore Windstopper trail pants. They are marketed as such, like okay. that you are to. T- Take these on your mountain bike and go mountain biking on them. Or, you know, they also seem really good for fat biking to me. But anyway, so I was like, Ugh, I don't know. Because like whenever I've re- I've worn anything like that, it does the pant thing. Like it kind of it's funky around your knees, even though they try to articulate it. It's not super comfortable and they kind of ride. They, they don't they just never sit right. But I gave it a shot and now it is all I want to wear. Like I have worn what? them if, if I'm going on a ride and yeah, I, I wear them 
I love them. I wear them constantly. Like, if they're in the wash, I'm bummed out. And you don't have to wash them as much because they don't have built-in chamois. So they, you know, like, they don't need to be uh-huh. laundered quite as much. But they are... I, I love them because they are they're roomy, but they're not baggy. They are they are truly windproof. They are not waterproof, as I learned in a three hour ride in the rain. But that's fine. <laughs> I, I wasn't cold. <laughs> um, they didn't promise to be waterproof either. To be to be clear, they promised to be water resistant, which they were. Um, but they really, what I love about them so much is they nail the articulation. They have like the the lovely gore material over the thighs, and then on the shins, like just below the knee, they just they change the material to like this stretch fabric that sort of hugs your calves and and shins, mm-hmm. and it all just stay everything stays put magically. Like it just stays put. It's gusseted really well, like around the saddle area, so it just like when you sit, it everything feels natural. I'm a huge fan. Like I huh. and you when you're done. You can just like get out of the chamois part, and you are in a nice pair of pants. Like they just look great. So, um, Tell, I, talk I, to me about have, the the texture of the the material on the outside. I mean, what's it look like? It is. It looks. It looks like they look like dress pants. Actually, almost like they're gray, uh-huh. and they're sort of. But they're they look like they're not crinkly. Like I'm I'm a real texture person. But they're soft, you know, okay. but they are resistant. They give a lot. They move. They're a very, I can't even compare the material to anything that else that I have because it's definitely technical, but it doesn't feel technical. It's got a, mm. it's, it's got a more realistic feel to it. It's, they're polyester blend something, right? That's okay. the general thing that they are. Um, but they do, they do, they they wear very, very comfortably and very, very, very well. And they clean off well. You know, I've already crashed in them. They're durable. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, because I, I do try to destroy everything as soon as I get it. And the, Really? The, I hadn't I, heard that about yes, you. I, I, it's true. <laughs> I, I failed in this and that that was good. So, um, but I, yeah, I, I really can't say enough about them. I like How when, cold? I, when I love something. How cold? Well, that's, what, you I, with- that's what I really like about them. So it's been... It's been truly sort of like late fall, early winter here. So every day is in the 30s. And I've been wearing, yeah, which to me, I'm an ace coaster. Is that, it's just not that cold. So, um, yeah, I've been, I, they are my go-to. Like for, like for, I wore them as low as a warm 28 and uh, up to like 40. I mean, you could wear, I, once it got warm, warm, I wouldn't want to wear them anymore because it's, you're wearing pants and I wouldn't be wearing pants. Right. <laughs> but like, is but for like this true shoulder season, um, and especially when it is gusty and windy, they're, they're really nice because mm. even Lycra with it, when it's got whatever block, it still lets in the wind. Like, right. I mean, unless it's got, I've got some tights that have some decent wind protection, but they're not awesome, and they don't feel great on on the skin, frankly. Mm-hmm. So these have been. A, I'm really psyched about these. If you can't wow. tell, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I you've got me intrigued. Uh, I'm I am definitely curious to learn more. I think Gore's just knocking it out of the park right now, Frank. Like honestly, like, I, yeah. like between their shake dry stuff, they're just like you know brands have those like sort of like they have these cycles where all of a sudden they're just nailing everything and yep. then they, they taper off a bit. I feel like they're just like on that peak of where they're just like, I've gotten so much stuff from them lately that I just love like yeah. gloves and, and base layers and the shake dry jackets. And yep. I just feel like they're doing a great, great job right now. Yeah. I, I don't know how I would have gotten through the first three days of oh, that, that right, Taiwan, Taiwan tour without that shake dry jacket. I just, without that thing, I just don't know how I would have gotten through. Uh, it, yeah. it made all the difference. 
Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And these aren't right terribly, now. I mean, you know, you do pay for the stuff. These are 200 bucks. So it's an investment. But I, I, I see these hanging out in my wardrobe for, for a very long time. Cool. Yeah. Neat. All right. Well, this week, my pick is Christmas rides. Getting, Yay, I love Christmas rides. Yeah. <laughs> getting together with friends to go check out homes lit up with lights and yep. maybe decorating your bike. Um, and I've got a cat who wants to be in my lap. We will go celebrate some other time, dude. Yay, Christmas. <laughs> Here's what's on my mind, though. Christmas can be a tough time of year for some people. Yes. And... Uh, last year on my birthday, which is very shortly before Christmas, some friends of mine said to me, we were going out for pizza and beer and they're like, Hey, you know, our buddy here has been having a tough time. Can he come along just to have a a fun night out? I was like, yeah, yeah, cool. Bring him. Um, and after the fact, they said that really lifted his spirits. And this, this coming Saturday night, trail house is having a Christmas lights ride. And so I'm thinking of all the people who maybe need a little, you know, a little bump, uh, just a little pick me up to get out and socialize with some friends. And I'm looking forward to what that ride can do for for people. And I just I I love those things. I've had so many so much fun at them over the years. Uh, I wish we had a neighborhood here in Santa Rosa the way there is down in Torrance, there is, I don't know, it's eight or 10 blocks where they put up a bunch of sawhorses and you can only drive through in one way, but people will walk the sidewalks and ride bikes through. And most of the homes in this neighborhood are lit up. Just. Yeah. I love that. It's yeah. it's like Las Vegas, only really yeah. nice. Uh, and, you know, yeah. some people go, you know, full nativity and then some people go full Santa. And then you've got the Grinch house and you've got, you know, the the blue and white decorations for people who are still in the midst of Hanukkah. And it's just it's such a diverse show. And I loved taking my kids to that, but we would always do a ride through there, a bunch of us. And I, I had little battery powered blinky lights that I'd put on my tandem. So Sweet. not sure what I'll do this year, but here's a vote for getting out and doing a Christmas ride with friends. I am a huge fan. I, I've been invited to a bunch of them. I can't make a lot of them, but there's one that we do. We have um, uh, the park, the parkway, which is where I, I spend a lot of my lunch riding time. It's just a... You know, five mile gravel park around a, a little uh, river, and then it's got trails on either side on the embanked, you know, in the embankments off off the beaten path. So I can mountain bike there, I can gravel ride there, I can road ride there because there's some paved sections too. Neat. Um, they do Christmas lights like the you know at night during the season where you pay and you drive your car, and they have like huge like those kind of things like uh-huh. the moving displays. Um, you're not actually supposed to, I think it's a safety thing. You're not supposed to bike through there, but we take our mountain bikes and we like put, you know, flasks and food and you know hard meats and cheeses and stuff in backpacks. And we go, um, on the mountain bike trails above this thing, which offers an amazing view of it. Uh-huh. And if there's a little snow on the ground, you don't even really need lights, which is amazing. Oh, so cool. you can just mountain bike around the whole thing. We stop. You know, have some snacks, look at the lights. It's a, it's the same. It's just really, it's a, it's one of my favorite things to do. It's really, really fun. Excellent. 
Wow. And same thing. It's just totally chill, and it's just community. Like, it's just, yeah. Neat. Neat. I'd love to see pictures if you can manage that. Yeah, yeah, for we sure. We put them up in a, in a future post. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that's a wrap for this episode of The Pace Line. What are you up to this weekend? Um, Christmassy stuff, speaking of. Like, we actually were, it might rain. We were actually hoping to do sort of one of those kind of rides, but we're looking at the weather. We're getting the the south of us, like you may have seen in the news, got nailed with that giant storm. Yes. Like, yeah, um, we're sort of getting remnants of that coming through. So we're just sort of watching the weather. But honestly, um, I am buried in work. I don't know about you, but like everybody that I work for is like, oh, my God, we need this, this and this. And can you get it to us before Christmas? And I'm just like, uh, OK, <laughs> you know, can you guys plan maybe? But anyway, I mean, I'm grateful for the work. I won't complain. Yeah. I have a ton to do. Yeah. So if we don't end up riding, I'll end up doing some work. I have not done a lick of Christmas shopping yet. So uh, maybe I should get on that. Yeah. You know, so that kind of stuff. You? Yeah. I, I've got to do Christmas shopping this weekend. I bought a few things online in advance, but the ma- vast majority of what I need to do is going to get conducted this weekend. And then yeah. because this is Santa Rosa, uh, Sonoma County, the Emerald Triangle, um, there is a... Uh, there's an event for the cannabis industry this weekend. Oh, wow. And okay. I'm actually going to go to it to check out CBD products for pain. My spinal stenosis has really been bugging me lately, and I managed to get a press pass so I can go in and talk to people about CBD products. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm interested to see what you find out. That is going to be an interesting event. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Great people watching beyond, if nothing else. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It'll it'll be a little further immersion into this community for me. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Awesome. To remind everybody, you know, there's something I would love for us to be doing more of, and that's fielding requests for segments on the show. So if you've got an idea for something you want us to address, please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments for a post. Before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for RKP's other podcast, The Poll. The show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews. Think Terry Gross for the bike set. This week's interview is with frame builder Jeremy Seasip. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.